You know, I've been doing things here at work a certain way for a very long time. And doesn't mean it's right, um, but it's just, it's how it's been done, right? There is some success to it, right? We went from a very small company to a large company. So there is success in that path. And it's it's very important to to change for the future, but you need to understand the past. You need to understand why things were done a certain way and what are the consequences of any change that you want to make to that original you know, um, objective. So you need to appreciate the past, understand the past, be able to move forward to the future. Welcome to The Climb. Today, Michael and I are joined by Karen Gutekans, Executive Managing Director of Clune Construction. Karen's been with the firm for 27, almost 28 years now. Clune is a $1.4 billion general contractor based in Chicago with locations across the country and over 600 employees. Karen, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thank you for asking me to join you. Welcome, Karen. It was great to be able to have you and convince you to come on with us today. Um, You know, as we talked about, you know, we want to just kind of start off with Tell us a little bit about, you know, outside of being a White Sox fan, that's where we disagree wholeheartedly. (laughs) Where did you, you know, where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about that before your life kind of clean construction and your your climb there. And we'll we'll get into that piece. But tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So originally I grew up on the northwest side of the city and in the late 70s um, moved to Taylor Street. And so that's really where my upbringing was. Both my parents were Chicago police officers. So all my life we've lived in the city. But, you know, that change to Taylor Street was certainly quite a different experience. And but that's where my upbringing was. Karen, what was what was, you know, I know the Taylor Street of today. And obviously, you and you know, like we've had dinner over there and there's amazing Italian food there. Um Tell us a little bit about what it was when you were growing up there. Yeah, back in the 70s, it it was very different than it is now. Um, While UIC, you know, the university is there, it was the very traditional Italian neighborhood, a little pocket of uh, an Italian neighborhood in the heart of downtown in the city. And, you know, it, it certainly had its challenges, especially for the time. Um, There were a lot of divides. And um, it's interesting because, you know, there's certainly when, when I say divides, I'm also talking about, you know, just even Racine was uh, the street there. Racine was a big divide. If you lived on one side of Racine, it was almost like the sharks and the jets, if you will. You know? <laughs> and Racine was the big dividing line in the whole neighborhoods about, you know, four blocks in radius. So it just was, uh, you know, a little bit more challenging back then. It has changed dramatically, you know, now a lot of students and, the, you know, the, the area is, is really beautiful, but um, it was it, it was a wonderful neighborhood. Uh, even back then, loved it. And um, the people there, the characters there, and uh, still go back there quite often to visit old friends and family. It's very traditional. They stay there. And so um, a great place to grow up. That's great. And then from there, where was kind of like the next stop is you're growing up there. 
So, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of one of those places that's, that's kind of uh, hard to leave. I was there for quite a while, even through, through high school. And um, when I got married and had children, I, um, I raised them there right in the heart of the city. We did not have a backyard. We had parks. And so my children grew up basically at the park. And once, you know, we needed a little bit more space, we moved over to Ukrainian village. Um, so one of the biggest things I always say is I never lived north of Chicago Avenue. So talk about South Cider. That's a real right. cider, right? <laughs> never moved north of Chicago Avenue. Um, so I raised my kids, you know, over in Ukrainian village and it wasn't until I, um, got a divorce that I went further south to Pilsen, lived there for a few years. And when I decided that I wanted to, um, make an investment and purchase my very first house, I went complete polar opposite to Edgewater. So as far north of the city as you possibly can, um, and that's where I bought a condo. So was there for uh, a few years and uh, recently got married and took a bigger plunge and moved to the suburbs. I'm, I'm excited for you, but at the same time, it's so hard to hear when people leave the city. <laughs> you know, I literally, sh my hand was shaking when I removed the city sticker from my car and put on a suburban city sticker. So... <laughs> Uh, it wasn't, it, it, it's certainly very different. It's very different from, you know, the lifestyle of Taylor Street or Ukrainian Village and certainly Edgewater. But um, it's just, you know, you're at a different point in time of your life. It's almost like each of these neighborhoods represent a different part of me. They are my story. You know, they're just, they're very special to me, but uh, it, they're vastly different. And that's all of me, right? So... Karen, along those lines, maybe some perspective, because, you know, that is um, kind of a, it sounds like a defining moment uh, and, and crossroads of, of shaping who you've ultimately become. And then you think about like development and construction, you know, certainly changed neighborhoods or created new ones or the whole idea of the waxing and waning between suburbs and inner city and back out again, and certainly COVID's you know, had an impact on that. And then you take a, a, a suburb or excuse me, a, a neighborhood like Ukrainian village. And obviously that's got a, an immigrant influence to it. So when you think about like all of the different areas that you've lived, how does that look going forward? Do we, do we preserve historical neighborhoods like that? Are they becoming a thing of the past in the way of innovation and, and growth? Or what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I think each of these neighborhoods, I, I, I think it's important to keep the integrity of its its history. The the, the irony of it and the, 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 the of, of what you had just said as well is my first um, place in Edgewater is um, very vintage. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the condo, if you will, is from uh, 1908. And so I'm very much about it and appreciate and respect the history it's very important to allow others and uh, the mix of, you know, what it's becoming because it's all about change, right? So it may start as this and it's important to when you're going into that neighborhood or, or trying something new is to understand the past, to be able to appreciate it and then be able to make change. 
It's something that I talk about here at work, especially. And, you know, I've been doing things here at work a certain way for a very long time. And doesn't mean it's right. Um, but it's just, it's how it's been done, right? There is some success to it, right? We went from a very small company to a large company. So there's success in that path. And it's, it's very important to, to change for the future, but you need to understand the past. You need to understand why things were done a certain way and what are the consequences of any change that you want to make to that original you know, um, objective. So you need to appreciate the past, understand the past, to be able to move forward to the future. And it, it, to me, it does tie into the neighborhood. You go to a different neighborhood, you go to a neighborhood or an area because you enjoy it, you like it, right? You appreciate the, you know, to me, uh, ethnicity is very identifiable with food. Everything is identifiable with food to me, right? So I really like this food and I'm going to go to this authentic neighborhood and I appreciate it. So why would I want to change it? You know, you take the good and, and you try to make it better with that, but you have to understand that. So that's what I think is it's important to keep all of these different ethnicities and uh, neighborhoods but uh, it's important to, you know, bring in others with it. One thing that you hit on right at the beginning, Karen, did you say, did you say one or both of your parents were police officers? So both of my parents were Chicago police officers. And boy, that is certainly a different childhood for sure. I mean, it, it certainly had significant uh, influence on me. Um, on the way that I think. Um, and when I say that, I, I'll give you an example of, you know, childhood games of, you know, being in a car. So you go on a family, you know, road trip and it's I spy or, you know, you're looking for, but we, we did things differently. We played, you know, games of, uh, remember that license plate and, uh, <laughs> and, and it would be, okay, you see this license plate and now, okay, a, a mile later, what was that license plate? Who was driving that car and describe them. And, and these were literal games that we, that we did as kids, right? You know, that person did that. Why do you think they did it? And it just was, it was these, these um, early lessons of, you know, challenging you to, think a little differently and in, in, in getting to understand and analyzing things. And I mean, I'm, you know, five-year-old kid just wanting to go on a trip and here we are, you know, and, and I think it's a game as a, as a kid. So, um, you know, my, my mom started um, on the force the, the year I was born. So she joined, so she, you know, she, she's a pioneer as well. Right. Um, she joined in 1965. I just aged myself there. Uh, she joined in 1965 and my dad was already on the force. Um, so my dad worked nights and basically, you know, raised me while my mom was working days. So there was, there was shift work even in my own life. And so, um, I'm, I'm very close with my father, very, very close with my father. And he really raised me. And so when he would come home from work, you know, we would, I would have a glass of milk and for each of us and a plate of cookies and we would, you know, 
play cards and we would just kind of talk about different things that, you know, he would share um, and I would share my day. Just very different growing up with the stress of, you know, having police officers and back, you know, I, I did give you the year. So this is also during the Democratic National Convention where me and my siblings were shipped off to the suburbs um, during a period of time. So that was my first introduction to the suburbs uh, was back in 1968 when things were a little hectic as well. So a lot of different influences and memories and challenges that, you know, that, that kind of shaped who I am. And there's a, there's a lot of, I know a lot of people that have similar to you, Karen, they either come from, you know, family that were Chicago police officer, fire department, um, or are, are in it today. And I think there's like, a, there's a lot of pride in that, that job. And obviously there's some challenges going on as, as you know, in the Chicago and police in general across the country. Um, but you know, Chicago cops, I mean, that's like, that's a really cool thing. And I think something you should be proud of with them. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, I have some good friends that are cops and it's, uh, it's, I love the work that they do, and I think they don't get enough for the the work that they do. But you know, that's my personal opinion. You know, it's uh, it it is a big sense of pride. I remember being in high school and you know defending my parents even then. You know, back then, unlike you know, not not unlike today, cops are pigs and all all kinds of of things. But um, you know, who's the first person you call nine one one, right? And so I know um, there there certainly are. As in any profession, there's good cops and bad cops, but just like there isn't everything. And I always saw, uh, I, I was fortunate to be exposed to, you know, some really good people and some, some really good people who were really doing good things and trying to protect. And my father worked organized crime and my mom, my mom, and, and my father actually looks like Serpico. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, a lot of a lot of interesting stories uh, with him, um, and my mom worked in um, um, like the rape division, like a, a sex department division. So I always would say, "Yeah, my dad's into drugs, and my mom's into sex." Um, that's kind of <laughs> you know, but that was that was the truth. That's that's like what they were dealing with on a day in a day out basis, and my father certainly was presented in some very challenging positions. I remember the stress of, you know, being a kid and hearing on the news, you know, cop shot details at 10. Well, it's now seven o'clock. I can't wait three hours to find out where's mom and dad. Uh, so, you know, there, there was a lot that went into that and maybe gave me a different uh, level of respect for, for what they go through. Um, but, you know, my mom um, continued on and I, and I do believe that um, you know, she was a, an influence in that she led the way as well. She was one of the first female lieutenants in the city of Chicago. And, you know, all of the um, accolades that came along with that, I'm, I'm proud of both of them and all of the things that they've done. And um, they certainly shaped me. Karen, you mentioned your your mom joined the force the same year you were born. So was that something that she had already decided to do or i mean that's that's an interesting timing because there certainly could have been a path that said well i've had a child now i'm going to 
go that route. So do you know kind of what drove her to continue down that path? You know, that's an excellent question. I I have um, an older sister and two older brothers. So um, I am the baby. And that's really excellent question. I never really asked. I think it's about opportunity. My my parents were married early and um, their education wasn't as, you know, college degree wasn't required back then. And so I think that you were uh, still limited in, in what, you know, what was being offered. I think my mom is also, you know, has an attitude that can hold that position, right? You can't be too timid, um, especially back in those days. And I think she was just uh, very capable and um, took it on as a challenge. But it also afforded flexibility. If you think about it, there's three shifts in a day. And so, you know, you were able to do it and, and offer, provide for your family as well. Well, and, and you got to be part of a family dichotomy that didn't really become a a thing that people talked about or focused on until probably the 90s, where it was like the, you know, the the first time I heard like FAMI, you know, the, the dad that stayed home with the kids during the day. And y'all were doing that back in, in the late 60s. Oh, you know, I, I'll tell you, and, and uh, my mom would get upset with my father because he would take me out with him, you know, all the guys going for a cup of coffee. So you know, <laughs> it could be it could be eight, you know, big burly cops drinking coffee at, you know, God knows what hour of the night. And I'm drinking a hot cocoa. Uh, I was sitting there with them uh, listening to all their stories. Um, you know, it was always all of my dad's you know, partners or friends and me. I was, I was always in the heat of it. I bet you got to meet a ton of really cool people through that. They're, they're unbelievable. So, so one of my, one of my favorite stories is when I was out um, for my bachelorette party out on Rush Street, right? You know, we're all out there having a great time. And I just hear, Karen, Karen Perry, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, looking around, like, what's going on? And it was, you know, undercover cops working security and they all know me and I didn't recognize them. They're like, we know who you are. What are you doing out here? And I'm like, oh my goodness. So, uh, yes, um, it's, you know, <laughs> I was known, uh, because I hung out with them for sure. Well, I, I can't, I can't let you off the hook on, on a good story around your, your dad's work on the, the organized crime piece, just because I've, I've been such a huge fan of of those type of of movies and sitcoms growing up and watching them and and just thinking about this whole old world of organized crime and the mob and its infiltration over the United States etc can you share a couple of stories he won't get mad that 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 we know about uh, so <laughs> my father is one of the best storytellers uh for me though i've known the man for, you know, all my life, I've heard a lot of his stories. <laughs> so I, I, I plead with him and I've just set him up on a computer. Uh, I'm begging him to tell his stories um, so that they're recorded um, because they are amazing. And, and the part that I can tell you, I know my father is an excellent storyteller, is while I've heard these stories many, many times, and he acts like it's the first time he's ever told me the story <laughs> each and every time. He tells the same exact story. So you know it's the truth, right? There is, there's no exaggeration. It is the same story, which is mind-blowing. 
But so I'm getting him to record his stories. I, I remember as a kid, uh, you know, he would he would take me on surveillances with him uh, simply because you are, you know, you're an adult male, but you've got a child and no one's going to think that you're a cop. He would, so, so, you know, he would get a, um, it, it could be a couple police officers going out on a surveillance and he would get a pickup truck and all three of them would sit across the pickup truck without a shirt on. You're not going to expect cops to do that. Right. So if, for him, it was always about being invisible. I'm going to tell you a quick story that he does now. So he is currently an investigator, and I'll have to see with, if it's okay with him to talk about this or keep it, but he's an investigator with the Secretary of State currently. My father is 82 years old. He's going to be 83 next month, and he is an investigator for the Secretary of State. So he's the only, he's the only contract employee left, and he, you know, people that owe the state money or they're trying to find, this is what my dad does. So he'll call me and God knows where he's at. And, you know, I'm like, dad, what are you doing? So he tells me the story that he had to serve a subpoena and the guy wouldn't come out. So he blocks the guy's driveway. He puts up the hood and he pretends his car is broken down in front of the guy's driveway. And so he's out there and he's He's 82 years old, so he's acting all confused. Oh, my God, I don't know what to do. The guy comes out, do you need a hand? Yes. Oh, my goodness, are you so-and-so? Yes, you're served. And then he puts down and drives off. So he he uses all of his facilities to his advantage, or his lack of facilities to his advantage. Um, Very creative. Um, And that's where I think I get a lot of my creativity from, too, is, is certainly my father. But you know, back in the day, I remember um, going to see, you know, it, well, he took me to work one day and going to work with, you know, someone who's in the narcotics division is quite the adventure. So you can never, you know, take a straight line. You know, it's always serpentining down different alleys and roadways because you, you're always looking over your back. So this one day in particular, we drive and we finally get to what looks like an abandoned building. And what it was, it was an old CTA warehouse and it's decrepit and it's just falling apart. And there's this, you know, back garage door and that's where we go in and you go inside and holy shit, like there are (laughs) Lamborghinis and Maseratis and all of the cars that they have confiscated. This was one of their undercover offices, and it was just completely mind blowing. You never would have, you never would have known it. A lot of times, I don't want to know the stories and things, um, you know, that he has experienced. He's shared some, and you know, it's okay now at a later time in your life. But at the time, you certainly want to know. Wouldn't want to know these things. <laughs> And that's, and Karen, you have a love for cars. So maybe, you know, your dad could have given you one of those too. (laughs) (laughs) Can I drive one of these? But yeah, for sure. No, I love love that that perspective. I'm sorry, Bob. I love that perspective on your, your dad being a great storyteller. And, and even to this day, the stories, you know, they're true because he keeps telling them the same way. Um, my grandfather too was a great storyteller and he always would say, you know, son, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I I got with so my grandfather 
similar, but my grandfather was like, as he started getting older too, I remember him telling a story. And then I look over at my grandmother and she goes, I've been with you for how many years? And I've never t- heard that story. I'm not sure that there's much truth to that <laughs> one. <laughs> well, so, you know, the I mean, and some of the stories are so, you know, kind of crazy out there. Have you ever seen the movie Big Fish? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My right? kids love that one. I, I, I love that movie. And so, honestly, some of my father's stories are so out there that you look at and, and you kind of think, and then you think about big fish where they all start coming in at the end. And it's just, you know, it's like, okay. And, or you meet the guy, right. Or you know, there, there is some, and you're just like, holy cow. And so I don't doubt there's times I'm, I'm really scratching my head, but I'm like, okay, I'm not going to doubt. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Karen, now you have become a grandmother recently. I have. Yes. My granddaughter's three years old. And so tell us about that experience too. I mean, that's, you know, I'm sure and amazing. And wow, for that, that kid too, to have a great grandfather around. I mean, that is, that's, that's not common, you know? I mean, not a lot of people get to experience that. Well, you know, it's funny. It's actually common in my family. So um, my children knew their great grandparents and all it means is we all got knocked up early. (laughs) <laughs> um, so uh i was married uh early I, we got married young we went you know we we had our first son within a year and our second son um you know a couple of years later so i was in my early 20s so my children knew their great grandparents um all four of them actually they were still alive when you know they were toddlers so as a result of me having my children so young as well, my children um, are grown, 33 and 30 uh, in the coming months. And um, my son is married and has, you know, had his daughter uh, three years ago. So it's such a thrill. The, The most amazing thing about being a grandparent is seeing your child have a child. It is a surreal experience. It's great fun having your grandchild, getting them all, you know, hyped up on sugar and giving them anything <laughs> and everything they want and then sending them home. <laughs> so it's, it's a great reason to just spoil the hell out of them and then it's someone else's problem. So it, it's really a very, very fun time. But the pride that you have for your child, um, you know, Becoming a parent is is just really incredible. Yeah. And she gets to know her great grandfather for sure. So we're uh, my 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 father's side of the family is Greek. So I go by Yaya. My husband is Papu. And my father is uh his great grandfather is pro Papu. <laughs> yeah, and she's got it all. She says it all very clearly. She knows who she's talking to. So it's that fine. Is, that yeah. is cool. But before we go on, though, just one more piece, just because it is so relevant today. And if it's if it's too sensitive, we can just skip over it. But, you know, you look at all this. I'd call it an act of progression with the video cameras that are on the police's uniforms to give more insight into how they're doing their job, which was probably a good thing. But. 
with that now and then also just everybody with a camera in their hand, you know, I just feel like all we're seeing is examples that are portrayed of police not making the right decision. But under the circumstances and the stress, it's like maybe they are they're making the decision that they're trained to do. And, and to your point, there's, you know, not in any business, not everybody's perfect. And there's and there's certainly some some bad apples. But just in the in in the wake of all of the footage that we're being flooded with in our living rooms around that, growing up with two parents as, as cops, give us the lay of the land from your view. You know, I will say it, 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 it's very hard, just even without them being police officers. It's just, these, these things are hard to watch and to understand, right? But I think that you're absolutely right that everyone is so quick to, you know, pull out these cameras. And, and, and you know, there's so much that could be altered. Different camera angles certainly show different perspectives. I am in no way justifying, you know, anybody's behavior. I'm just saying we all need to take a pause. You know, I, I understand some argument is I, I don't know how I would react, right? I am I am not the most level headed of individuals and my tolerance um I, I you know is 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 not that great. And I if you think about people who respond with road rage, for example, that is so fast, right? Right, that just trigger. So, if you think about the challenges that that police officers have now, granted, there's training, but really, how much training, right? When your adrenaline, when there's, you know, there's crazy circumstances, a crazy world environment. There's there's guns. There's like all of these forces that are out there. I can't imagine that you know, everybody does the right thing at all times. And there's certainly some that you would question motivation, whether it's, whether it's the police or whether it's the individual, whether it's the people that are standing there videotaping, what is the point of that? Why aren't you calling that? Why aren't you doing something different? Or, or the, you know, people who jump out, oh, I'll represent you, right? Already, attorney already within 30 seconds. What is so all to me, it's all about motivation. And I really believe and want to believe that people are good and everyone has good in them and people are good. There's there's just days that it's really hard to believe that about certain people, right? When you see how they act or what what happens. But I think people are good. We just have to, I don't know, don't have the answer. We were talking about that the other night on Ace and I, and we were just like, you, know, you just want, there needs to be more positivity in the world. There needs to be more around the good things that are happening too, because I feel like that has just kind of completely lost in the media around anything today, no matter what the topic is. I mean, if you turn on the news, like get ready to get depressed. I mean, you know, it's not, I, I can't even watch it anymore. You, you Every morning you open the paper, you're like... Because that's what comes up, not the good stuff that's happening in this world, too. And there's a hell of a lot of that going on. But I, I think, I think you know, it, it, there's a lot, right? We talk about brain fog and all this. But there's so much going on and it's just filling our heads. But it, I think the reason it keeps filling our heads is we're not getting the answer to the question of why 
why? Why is this happening? Right? And and when when you see things and you don't understand it, but you can't get that answer, it's it's just it it adds this layer of frustration and almost depression of oh my god, what you know, like the world's going crazy type thing. So that's why I think it's important to say, okay, you know, I, I always try to end a conversation or you know, being in risk management could be very negative, right? You're you're living in a world of negativity. I found I found that very true of myself. Being in risk management, you try to anticipate what what you know could be the reaction or what could what could the challenge be. And then you start to end up in that negative world because you're always trying to anticipate the worst. So, because you want to be prepared, right? I want to be prepared for, you know, what's going to happen next. So, but you can't live in that negative world. You also got to think, well, let me get out of that. And I think that that's kind of what's happening right now is we're all living in this risk management world of negativity and we need to kind of get to the goodness. So I always try to end a conversation with more of an upbeat, like bring it up. That's what, and everyone laughs at me, but I'm like, okay, I got to end on a positive note because I don't want the last note to be a negative thing when I'm talking at least. Well, and and we'll, we'll get into it later when we start talking about Clune and the culture that you guys have built. But like, you know, what I see, what you guys have done there as an organization is exactly well, a lot that. Of like it I can't talk culture. about it anymore. It's illegal. no it's a great culture and it's uh yes for sure for sure so switching gears a little bit let's talk about the career path as to kind of like where you are today and then we'll we'll kind of take a few you know different tangents there but you know where where'd you kind of start your working life and then what led you to to where you are today you know, right. Uh, well, when I was in high school, um, I started off working a part-time job with um, an orthopedic surgeon. So got really involved in the medical field for 10 years and um, stayed there and, you know, just realized that there wasn't really a career or uh, an opportunity to really make good money to provide for um, a family. So decided really needed to change. And, um, you know, where do you start? Had no idea. So I went to a temp agency or a placement agency and they said, you have no office experience. You really need to temp. So I, um, you know, didn't want to do it, but I did. And my first job was with Clune Construction, which was formerly LaSalle Construction back then. And uh, it was a, a job site merchandise mart for Banker's Life, 1993. And, you know, those floors are massive. And I'm a 28-year-old with a chip on my shoulder. Just, you know, just this badass of, you know, going to just take on the world. And uh, walking the floors of the merchandise mart. So the elevator banks were in the middle and our office was in the corner. So every day, you know, Talk about few women in construction. Think about 1993 on a construction job site. You know, so uh, I walk into the you know to this field office and every day, and 
the uh, the team would literally exchange money every day I went in, and uh, they would place bets. Uh, well, what you know, by the third day, I said, "What are you guys doing?" And they said, "We're basically taking bets to see if you show up every day." <laughs> okay. And um, though all those bastards are gone, and there I'm still go. here, so you know <laughs> who won that bet, right? I love it. So it was it was really. You know, it, it kind of when when you when I reflect back uh, with my mom being one of the first female, you know, lieutenants in the city of Chicago, I feel like that was some inspiration for me. When I was um, in high school, I was part of the class of the first female class um, at St. Ignatius. So all those years, all male, first female class at St. Ignatius. I get to a job site. I'm the only female there. So, you know, kind of was just in this zone of, you know, being part of, of a male-dominated uh, world. So it really didn't feel strange to me. I was the only one. And so I just kind of went with, you know, with the course of what I've been doing. So with Kloon, um, you know, I was just really afforded opportunity. The, the first step was become full time. And then the next step was, you know, become a, a team secretary. And, and then it was office manager and, you know, vice president and senior vice president. And, 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 and in 2012, became the first female partner uh, with the firm. Now, you know, I rattle this off, but it took a long time. It took a lot of hard work. It was, you know, um, I was given opportunity, but you have to make something with it. And I just really worked very hard and took on every challenge possible. Any area that I could contribute to, I did. And if I couldn't contribute, I would be there to witness and learn and just try to gather as much as I possibly could to make myself indispensable. It's a, it's a unique situation to be uh, in this position without having a college degree. I don't know. I never went to college. I don't know that this could happen, right? But I just know that when you are afforded opportunity, no matter where, no matter what your education is, what you do with it is your choice. And you could really do great things and be rewarded if you put in the effort. And I, I'm complete living proof of that. And I'm forever grateful for, for being given these opportunities and being able to do wonderful things for myself, for my family. And I'm now taking it as what can I do next? And it's really what I can do for others to be, to give them the opportunities that I was given. Yeah. Well, I want to come to, come back to that, but I do remember you saying at some point, didn't you leave the company? <laughs> when you ask my tenure, you know, it, it is um, minus two weeks. And minus two weeks. <laughs> there wasn't a vacation. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, it, it is funny. And, it, and it's an incredible lesson because so many times, you know, people will quit because you think the grass is greener or there's a better opportunity. And yes. I did do that. And my, 
Mike Clune will never forgive me for that. Uh, he reminds me of it often. But even with that said, I, I did see an opportunity and I left. And it's a true story. After two weeks, um, I mean, I knew right away. But after two weeks, I said, oh, my goodness, I just can't do this. And I and I quit. And I had to give a two-week notice. So I was literally gone for four weeks. And what do you do, right? I was with um, Clune for, for, for a few years. And I said, oh, my goodness, I can't put this new job on my resume. And I'm, you know, at, just at a loss. So uh, I called Mike. And I, and I said, I'll, and all I did was ask him, you know, so Mike, I, I put in my notice and I said, I just have a question for you. Would you, you know, would you give me a good reference? And he said, meet me for a cup of coffee. <laughs> and, and well, he said it in an Irish brogue that wasn't, but I can't do an Irish brogue. Um, <laughs> and he, you know, he asked me why, why did I leave? And my heart was breaking because you know, it, it. He felt it probably as a betrayal that that I had done that, and I just broke his heart. And so we talked, and uh, he forgive he forgave me for five minutes, but let, never lets me forget it. <laughs> um, and offered me a job right back, and offered it to me at you know the um, increase that he had offered before I left. Right. And it gave me everything that he originally said he was going to give me. And what a man, right? And um, again, um, just that was such a lesson that I will never, ever forget. Well, he'll never let me forget it, but I just wouldn't even do it on my own. So it's 27 years minus four weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Always the minus four weeks. Karen, we we talk a lot about what makes, you know, a leader and the the characteristics and and DNA that go into that. And he really demonstrated that, right? I mean, he saw something in you. He tried to keep you, but, you know, I ultimately let you go and then had the foresight to say, well, I'm not going to give her a reference to go somewhere else. I'm going to get her back. I mean, that's pretty incredible. You know, I I have been incredibly fortunate to have amazing people in my life. I've had, um, you know, great parents who have really uh, shown me different aspects and, and different ways of viewing things and, and, and quite an upbringing, given me different perspectives. I have, you know, clone construction, honestly, for, you know, 27 years just the different wonderful people here. Mike Clune is certainly, you know, the forefront of those people. He the the things that he has done, the lessons that I have learned from him, um, are are countless. The incredible generosity that this man has within him and and, and gives to others. You know, I have so many stories of Mike Clune. Um, there were there are so many people that he has done amazing things for. There was an article that he read in um, the newspaper quite this is quite a long time ago. It was about a young man who was um, a very sad story. He was born on Thanksgiving Day on the bathroom floor. 
um, raised by his grandmother. He was struggling in school. When he was in school, he put a firecracker in his locker. And as a result of it, he actually was put in jail. Uh, it was an M80, right? And so there was injustice. And Mike said he, he was coming out of jail. It was, you know, a short period of time. But, you know, the things that this young man had gone through. And Mike said, Karen, I want you to find him and we're going to give him a job. And I said, okay. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. And I said, because Mike, my parents are cops. I'm, I'm going to tell you, right? Like, when you say this, right, this is not a, a goose chase. I will have him here in a half an hour if you want. So he's like, no, I want to find him and give him a job. And we did. Uh, and we hired this young man. And we, um, you know, really tried. There were there were so many things. You know, we put him on a construction job site to just to try to find the right job for him that that he would flourish. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out. There were there were just many challenges. But you know, we we sat him down and we said, you know what, maybe construction's not for you. Um, so what we can do, and and I sat there with Mike, and we had this conversation with this young man, and we said. You know, you, the article stated you wanted to be a mechanic. So we're going to put you through mechanic school. We will pay for the tuition. And we said, on top of that, you know, we will we'll pay you a salary so that you don't have to work. We don't want you to work. We want you to focus on the school and we'll pay for it. But we just want to see your grades and your attendance. That's it. And unfortunately, it again, it still didn't work out. But this was me witnessing the unbelievable continued effort and generosity of, of Mike Clune to complete strangers, you know, willing and wanting and, and affording these opportunities. And it's the example of if someone, and, and maybe this young man, he just wasn't ready at the time. Mike has done this with other people. He, he literally took a streetwise vendor off of the street and hired him. And he was an employee for us for many, many years. And he recently resigned. The reason he resigned is he was uh, given an opportunity where he could give back and do the same for others that was given for him. So he was joining a company where he would, so he was at the right time in his life to be able to take the opportunity that Mike had provided. It's not always that you have to be in the right place, right at the right time. But Mike never gave up. So while it didn't work for that first young man, that doesn't mean you need to stop trying. And you're going to keep finding people that are in the right time of their life to grab onto that opportunity and run with it. And I was one of them. And all of these others, you know, are just there waiting. So I've been right, like I've just have been so lucky with all these amazing people in my life to look up to and to uh, strive to be like. Strive to be like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so Karen, I was going through some notes that I had since I had got to know you, and when we first started working together six something years ago now i wrote in my notebook you said 
Bob, give me the truth and I will always do the same to you. And I've seen that with you and, and engaging with you. And, and so like, talk about that. And then like, I feel like that really goes about what you mentioned earlier, your mom, you said, and just like, she was not timid. And I've worked with you for long enough that I know that Karen is not timid. And then, and then being a woman in the construction business, like talk about some of that stuff. Cause I think that's a lot of those things that you talked about, like going and taking these opportunities, but like, I'm sure there was a lot against you as you were pushing through things that you had to push through. So I just figured I'd kind of tee it up in that, that way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times that you really have to fight through, but honestly, it, it, it's about the truth and it's about just being completely honest Um, Because I can deal with that, whether it's good or bad. And I have always um, gone through that, even with my own children. I have instilled in them, look, you know, I may not like it, right? But um, my job, first and foremost, is as your mother, is to make sure that you're safe. So you need to know that at any moment, any given time, you can call me and you're in the worst possible scenario. And, oh, God, I don't want to tell my mom, right? But that's when you need to know you need to call me. And there will not be, you know, I will I will make sure you are safe. That is my, my, my job, my goal in life. I'm going to get you out of a bad situation no matter where you are, get you safe. Then we're going to deal with consequences. <laughs> Probably the next day, right? The next day, you're going to hear about it. But you you need to know that you can count on me. And... There's not going to be judgment. There's going to be a hug. There's going to be getting you out of a situation and getting you, you know, home and, and protected. And then, and then we'll figure it all out. And that's really been my philosophy, even with, you know, with, with risk, with, with um, how I go about things. I can only deal with the truth because if I can't trust you, then I, how could I work with you? Right. I'm always going to wonder. Um, and I, and I want people to know that they can trust me. Uh, I speak, I speak the truth, but it's also my truth, right? It, it's my perspective, but I will give you a hundred percent of who I am. You may not want it all. Uh, <laughs> you may say, you know, pull back a little bit, but it's, um, it's me and I can only be honest about me. And, um, I think it's very, very important, you know, there's a lot of challenges here in in life and in, in being in risk in all in all these years. But you know, starting out so long ago and and where we are today, you see the progress. And I and I'm and I'm not alone. Maybe it was the only female back then, but even then, had so many good people around me, some good partners. I didn't really look at it as male female. I, I was always very aware of it, right? Because I, you know, there was no line in the bathroom for me because I was the only one. But so always aware that, you know, there weren't many and it certainly has changed so much now. And it's a, it's a great thing. And it's about what we can do to um, reinforce everyone else's role, to, you know, bring others in and support them throughout. And that's really where the other 51 team. Yeah. Well, yeah. So 
talk about that, Karen, because I know you have a ton of passion around that and, you know, women in the construction business and women just in in the working world in general. So, you know, I think if it, you know, when we speak honestly, if we acknowledge and and this was a big, the first big step is women notoriously don't treat each other very well. And it's, it's a sadness and it's a frustration. And for years um, here at Clune, I've been trying to, you know, get a group together. Like, let's really get together to support each other. And what happens is everyone's busy, right? And we have our jobs and we have family and, you know, especially with COVID, who the hell needs one more meeting, right? So, but we finally did. And we finally were able to schedule a Zoom call. We all go like hell, but we, we got on this call and um, we just started talking. And the reason it came about is this year in particular, I was uh, working with marketing and with human resources on Women in Construction Week. And there was a whole, you know, showing appreciation for women in construction and what was the theme this year and, you know, what are the, the little goodies we can do. And so as I was working on it, I'm like, you know, why is it only one week? What about the other 51? And that's when I'm like, geez, we really need to support each other the other 51 weeks of the year. So I really liked that idea. So I Googled other 51 because God knows you just didn't want that name associated with something, you know, that right. I, right. <laughs> so it's, there's a whole Hamilton reference, which is a okay, which means there's a lot of memory, you know, uh, gear out there already that's already printed. But the, I wanted the other 51 to be a group of women that are just getting together and talking about different things. What are the stresses? What are the objectives? What, you know, and, and have a social aspect, but just to be able to cover well-rounded and how can I support you? And we really started small and it, we just started this a few weeks ago and we've been meeting each Friday and we are now expanding and we will be having outreaches to, to others. What we initially did is put together a couple proposals that we thought would be good um, ideas for change. Now, one would think, oh, you know, this is just going to be something for the women of the office, but it's not. It is ideas for change that all in the company are going to benefit from. But the idea came from a woman's perspective. And we all, each of us have different perspectives, but, you know, it was just a different, a different angle, if you will, a different viewpoint. And it's just, it became very interesting. It also was uh, interesting that it also aligned with a different thought that others had had. So it just showed in, in different ways that we are alike, right? And it, it, it just feels really, really good. It's, it's finally a core group of people starting, I wouldn't say a movement, but starting just support and goodness. And that's what we need. That's outstanding. 
That's outstanding. I love that. What do you see is, you know, what do you envision for the future of the group? You know, who knows? Um, endless possibilities. We're just being, being so young in it. Um, some really good conversations have already come out. Deep, honest conversations. And I don't want to betray the group, so I'm not going to go into those. But things that that you might feel alone in your thoughts about, you know, you might be intimidated about something and you think you're the only one who feels this way, but you're not. And so when you start to have, uh, you find common ground. And that's that's what I think is really important is finding the common ground um, within each other. And that's that's the way that we're going to be able to really connect, bond, and support each other further. When you have that connection and you see that viewpoint, or now, you know, I you, you may have a completely different viewpoint, but when you have this open, honest conversation in, a, in an intimate group of people, it's only four of us at this point, you're able to challenge respectfully, right? And then you, when you just calmly listen, you say, huh. And again, it just, it brings a different perspective and understanding. And that's what we're all searching for. And appreciation, really. So what we plan to do is the, we're, we're, we're starting with an initial outreach, which is just going to be with some women within Clune. Um, because we want to, we want to share this idea. We want to welcome in others. Um, there will always be the core group and we will have different, um, outreaches or different avenues to, um, allow others to come in. And then we, you know, plan to go beyond outside of Clune. We want to bring in guest speakers, guest ID, you know, just, just for different conversations and different, um, viewpoints throughout the country and different diversity, just all kinds of things. Karen, going back to something you mentioned earlier around the maturation of your career uh, at Clune minus four weeks, um, that you mentioned college and, and not going to college. And, you know, as I watch the news and I think about, you know, when I was in school versus today and this kind of, at least when I was growing up, this whole notion that, you know, you had to go to college. I mean, you're supposed to go to college and that that's going to give you a huge advance in life. And in your case, that's obviously not the truth. But as I look at the cost of college today, right, I mean, it's it's far outpacing the the rate in which people are able to make more money year over year. What are your thoughts around is college right for everybody? I mean, if you're just going to be laden with this gigantic debt when you get towards the end of it because you didn't qualify for a scholarship or your parents couldn't help you out or you didn't have a job that could start eating into the debt as you're accumulating it. I mean, what are your thoughts sitting where you sit now on the importance of a college degree? <laughs> so that that's uh, that's a... Excellent question. So going to St. Ignatius College Prep, um, it was rather shocking. I think I was one of three in, a, in, in the entire class that didn't go on to college. I just was not 
the opportunities for me were not there for, for, for many different reasons. Um, and so it was very important for me personally just to immediately start working. And with that said, I missed out. And for, for me personally, uh, it was probably not the right thing for, you know, I, for me to, to go to college, but it was always, I think for, it's always one of my regrets that I didn't. With that said, I don't think it is for everybody. I did make sure, um, because I did live with those regrets that my children were going to college no matter what. And so they both did. Um, and they are, they're, you know, my oldest son went to, well, my oldest son is the first child of a female alumni at St. Ignatius. A lot of firsts in my world. And so he then went on to John Carroll, um, which is just outside of Cleveland. My younger son, who's a mechanical engineer, who also works at Clune, he went to uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering. So he is a mechanical engineer from there. And um, it was just so important to me that they both went to college. The world, you know, I, I, I see the challenges today. You know, I, you look at resumes and, and, and this continued education and everyone's spending so much money on that. There are plenty of opportunities for very well-paying jobs that, you know, you don't have to go to college. If the opportunities, I don't know that the opportunities would be there that, for me, it was a matter of timing as well. Um, interesting enough, my clone didn't go to college, um, didn't finish high school. So I think that there was that that connection. If it where that direction is now is is you know completely different. I just think that there's so many opportunities um, for those who you know who who are not afforded the ability to go to college, and that should never be a hindrance. You can always go back if you wanted to. There are some very good money-making jobs. I think you you need to still fully always dedicate yourself. I believe that opportunities come your way. And if your eyes aren't open, you could, you could miss one. Don't blink, right? You can miss one. And it doesn't mean that um, you need that college degree because it's, it's about you. It's about showing what you're made of and showing that you are dedicated and willing to put in the hard work. I really believe when you do that, um, you will be rewarded. I had this conversation with, I brought up now twice, Anais. I just got to give her a shout out. Make sure she sticks around for another you know, year before she finally marries me, hopefully. <laughs> uh, so she, did, she didn't go to college, right? She, she right away went into the ballet and you know, she's like, God, like, it just feels like sometimes like I missed out and, you know, these things and you hear all these things. And, you know, I said to her, yeah, but you've like, you've traveled the world. You've done all these things that all these other people will, you know, we were sitting taking tests. Like she was in London and Japan and Germany and all these crazy places. And you see just a different type of like knowledge that you get. That's not a, you know, a, college knowledge, right? Like it's just a different type of learning and there's a ton of value to that as well. Well, there is, right? And and so while others were, you know, off at college, you were in the workforce. So you have, you know, years of experience on your resume. 
what I think for me personally, what is lacking is also, you know, the relationships, um, you know, the college friends for life, right? You know, I, I, I sit on, on Saturdays and hear people constantly talking about college football or, you know, college basketball, whatever it is. I'm like, why do you care? You, you know, you don't go there anymore. Um, <laughs> it, it's this connection, right? Yeah. And that's what's missing. What I did tell my children is that I don't care what your grades are. I, I didn't want them to work. I just, just pass, right? I, it doesn't matter if it's a C or a D, just pass. But I, but I wanted them to have those relationships for life and they do. And those are expensive relationships, but <laughs> they're, they're great. And I think that all of those experiences are lessons as well, life lessons. And so uh, while you can't always put those on your resume, you know, they're, they're just as important um, to have as well. No, that's a good point. And, you know, if you can get a balance of it too, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I think college kids that say, you know, I've got to focus on my studies. And so that's all I can focus on. I've got to make good grades. The second I got a job in college, my GPA went up astronomically because I didn't have any time to do anything else except work and study. So I think there's a real balance there to these I kids think coming through. Is absolutely the key. Uh, and, it, and it's not just for college, it's just for life in general, right? And so um, I completely agree with you on that. Some of us, Michael, like myself, I just, you know, I, of course, didn't pay attention in college. And so I did that. And then I got into my first job and I'm like, well, oh, this is great. I didn't learn anything. And my dad, <laughs> I remember my dad being like, yeah, that's because like, look at your grades. You didn't do anything. I'm like, thanks, dad. <laughs> but it's funny because at least you could say it. Right. So when when people say, oh, Karen, where did you go to college? Well, you know, I didn't wait, what? You know, so I, I get that a lot. And then I feel like you, I have to explain, oh, well, you know, it just wasn't for me. It, it's just not for everybody. I love the, the picture you painted around, you know, allowing your children to know they could call you, you know, at any hour and um, they may hear about it the next day, but you're, you're going to get them to that safe place and, and hug them and reassure them with, Raising two daughters, you know, my, my wife always says to them, um, you'll never be in as much trouble as long as you always tell the truth. <laughs> so I, my son is going to kill me, but I'm going to tell you the story. So, so he's off at college and he um, gets into some trouble. So what his trouble was is he didn't tell me about it. Uh, so he was in a bar, not 21, and there's a group of them and someone taps on his shoulder and says, let me see your ID. He's like, yeah, yeah, right, right. Thought it was one of his friends and it was a cop. And so, you know, small university town, of course, they get arrested. I don't even know what that means. I think they got a ticket, but they had to go to court. So my son doesn't tell me until, you know, like a couple weeks before there's going to be a court case. Now I'm freaking out. Now I have to get an attorney and I'm sweating <laughs> up the storm. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't tell me, you know, so basically a slap on the hand and of course a fine, you know, there's always a fine as long as I get that fine. So I, you know, we have this massive sit down of, you know, look, 
You need to tell me, you need to be honest. I'm always going to be there for you on and on and on. So he's got this fine and he's on probation for a year. Oh, I'm sorry, mom. Lesson learned. Okay. Okay. So, you know, a couple months later, <laughs> phone rings like at, you know, two 30 in the morning. I'm like, Oh, this can't be good. <laughs> and I, mom, mom, I'm like, what, what, what's going on? And he's like, I'm running. I'm like, from what? <laughs> the cops. And I'm like, from the cops. <laughs> what's going on? He's like, oh, I was at a party and we got busted and I'm running from the cops. And I'm like, why are you calling me? He's like, because you told me to call you right away. <laughs> and, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me with this? I said, come on. And, he's like, and so now he's with someone and he's trying to help her over the fence. And, and I can't say her name because it's, it's like a unique name. So I'm, we're going to call her Jane. So he's like, come on, Jane, get over. And I said to my son, I said, I said, is Jane on, on probation? And he's like, no. And I said, drop the bitch. Run, Max, run. And I was like, oh my God. And I said, call me later. So he calls me later. And I said, did you get away? I said, I never meant for you to call me in that heat of the chase. <laughs> so my son had, you know, he tells me I was such great pride. He learned the lesson though, right? <laughs> to call his mother at any time and get him out of trouble. So he did have to go back at a later time to look for his friend, uh, who was absolutely fine. But uh, yeah. That, oh, that's uh, a good one. That is a really good one. <laughs> Karen, You've heard the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And we turn that around and say, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And so in, in spending this this hour with us, hour plus, and, and telling us so many great nuggets of wisdom and, and just your climb and how you've gotten to where you are. And, you know, you mentioned being being a grandmother and thinking about this this podcast capturing your story for forever. That's why we're passionate about doing this. What do you want people to know about you? Well, forever. That was a scary comment there. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't self-destruct after, you know, a, a month or so. <laughs> you know, I, what, what I hope that um, people who meet me or work with me or uh, know me is that um, what they take away is that, uh, I was interested in them. I treated them fairly. I really hope that that's, you know, a big part of it, um, that I genuinely care. I am a, a fighter and a defender. And so people who, who um, I get to know, you know, I will, I will do anything I can for. And, um, what, you know, lending a hand, listening, lending advice, you know, what, whatever the case may be. I, I hope that people would say that I was a good person and that I treated them fairly. Very cool. Thank you, Karen, so much for joining us today and sharing everything with us. It was awesome to be on with you. This was fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you both very much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.